Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. It can be found on page 1643 in the Bibles in front of you. This is God's Word. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord. Before we get started, I'd, I'd like to just say, first of all, thank you so much for supporting the ministry that Genevieve and I are doing in Sacramento. Thank you for being a, a ministry partner of, of our church plant. Uh, we've got a, a picture to show. Uh, a lot has happened since the last time that I was here. Um, let's see, I was ordained in the fall, and then my wife and I had our, our baby, our first son, uh, Nolan. I was born around Christmas on December 28th, and uh, yeah, there's a... There's a picture. I think he's pretty cute. But uh, I wish he could be here right now, but he would not really like the long drive from Sacramento down to Ripon. But, uh, but yeah, our, our, our ministry in Sacramento has been doing a lot of things lately. There's some day-to-day, -day, some week-to-week -week things, but these last two weeks have been really exciting. We partnered with a local community center, and we did a, a Good Friday service and an Easter Sunday potluck with the community. It was really, really cool. We... we uh, got this big cross that we carried around to different parts around the block 
on Good Friday, and we did readings and enactments, and, and there were kids and teens and parents, and everybody got to participate. And then we ended up burying this box in the garden uh, so that when we met together next time to celebrate Easter, we met in the garden, and we dug up the box, and in it was a message saying, He is risen. And we decorated the cross with flowers and went back to the community center and had a big potluck together. It was a really amazing time of getting to know neighbors and celebrating all the things that Jesus has done for each of us. And so thank you for supporting us in making things like this possible so that more people in Sacramento can know the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so with that, I'd like us to turn to the passage that we read this morning. Uh, It's a very interesting story with many twists and turns, and uh, it starts on somewhat of a low note. Um, it's It's a sad beginning. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, after his wife had died, he tried to avoid familiar places to lessen the grief of losing joy. So he went to different grocery stores. You know, he, he took different streets so that he wouldn't have to confront the memories of the good times that he had had with her there. He went to different restaurants and parks. But he wrote that this approach didn't work. He wrote, he discovered that uh, grief is like the sky. It hangs over everything. The same kind of grief was hanging over our two traveling companions that we read about in this story as they go and trudge their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, in this story, one of them is named Cleopas, and the other one doesn't have a name. And I wonder if the author did this on purpose so that maybe you and I might imagine that we are the other traveler on this road to Emmaus as Jesus approaches. But uh, for our sake today, instead of me saying the other traveler every time that we're referring to this person, uh, we're going to give them a name. And uh, scholars have looked into this, and nobody knows who this other person really was. But some guess it might have been Cleopas' wife, Mary. And so for the sake of our time today, we're going to refer to these two travelers as Cleopas and Mary. And so as these two, Cleopas and Mary, are heading from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they are talking about all the hard things that they've just witnessed. You know, these are two people who apparently invested quite a bit of their time, uh, quite a bit of their life in Jesus and his ministry. They put a lot of hope in him, that he might be somebody to do something great. But these hopes were dashed when they saw him hanging on the cross, when they saw his dead body put in the tomb. And so now they're looking back you know, as, as they leave Jerusalem with grief, with disappointment, with heaviness, maybe even with a little bit of embarrassment. You know, was it all just a waste of time? Did I pour that much of my life into somebody just to have it go nowhere? Was I really that wrong? Now I have to tell everybody <laughs> that I was wrong about believing in him. And so they're trudging and they're walking, they're leaving Jerusalem, and all of this is hanging over them. And this is a terrible place to be. You know, it's a place that I bet many of us have been before. Hurting, sad, lonely, maybe embarrassed, maybe ashamed. Trying to avoid places that touch our raw nerves. Trying to avoid places that bring back painful memories. You know, all of us, when we feel this way, we try to leave Jerusalem with all of its painful memories attached to these different landmarks and head out to a place like Emmaus to find comfort. Where is your Emmaus? You know, maybe it's a park. 
that you like to go to where you feel at ease, where you can find some familiarity and comfort away from the hurts and the pains of the world. You know, I know a lot of people have a go-to show or a movie that they'll put on when they're feeling down. You know, maybe binge a couple rom-coms just to soothe the soul a little bit. We seek out a place like Emmaus to get away from the painful memories and the hurts that we've experienced. In our hurts, we seek out comfort. And in our hurts is where Jesus often meets us. You know, as Cleopas and Mary are heading away from the painful memories of Jerusalem and towards the comfort of Emmaus, Jesus meets them and joins them. You know, Jesus goes out of his way. He takes the initiative. He approaches them, and he begins asking them questions. You know, he's the one who starts this whole scene. He's the one initiating the movement in this story. And uh, back then, everyone walked everywhere. And it was very common that if you're going from one place to another, that you would eventually, your pace would catch up with the group in front of you, or those behind you would catch up with you, and you would travel in groups. And it was very common to do these things, meet new people on the road, and walk and pilgrim together. You know, the whole uh, Canterbury Tales, written by Chaucer, is, is just a collection of stories that travelers are telling one another as they go from one place to another. These things happen as we move in through life. We, we, we gather with people and we talk as we move along. And so Jesus does this. He gathers, uh, he, he gets together with them so that they can walk together and, and they're discussing these things. And Jesus, this is sneaky Jesus in this story, you know, not revealing who he is. And he asks them, what are you guys talking about? And and Cleopas and Mary, they look at him and they stop in their tracks, it says. "Uh, Are you the only one who doesn't know everything that's been going on in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard about all these crazy things that have just happened? You know, it it reminds me of an article I read in the newspaper of somebody who went into a coma in February of 2020. Imagine what time that was. And then woke up in the middle of the pandemic. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's asking questions. And I could just imagine people being like, are you the only one who hasn't heard of all these crazy things going on? How do you not know? You know, these people must have think, thought Jesus just woke up from a coma and hadn't heard about this, this, these big events that had happened in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're talking to him. Uh, ironically, Cleopas and Mary explained to Jesus all the things that happened to Jesus in the last 72 hours. You know, they're telling him, uh, what is it, that, uh, you know, don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And those two words break my heart every time I hear them. Had hoped. Past tense. We used to hope. And now we're not sure what we feel anymore. We had hoped something good was going to come out of this, but instead it fell flat. It reminds me of the poem uh, Harlem, written by Langston Hughes. And it's very brief. He writes this poem, and he says, What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load? Or does it explode 
And Cleopas and Mary are asking themselves this question, what do we do? We had hoped, and it fell flat. Now what do we do with this, this dead hope that's hanging around our necks that we feel as a burden on our backs? What do we do with this? And I think that's the reason why this poem is written as a question, because that's what you do when your hopes fall flat. You ask yourself, now what? <laughs> I, I had a hope, I had a dream, I had a place I was trying to go, and I can't anymore. It's fallen flat. Now what do I do? I had thought I was going to go this way and it was going to be great, and now it's, it's not. Where do I go? What do I do? It's a time of confusion and hurt and loneliness and feeling bleh. And so Jesus comes up and he meets them in this place. You know, they're asking themselves these questions and then they're explaining to Jesus. And then Jesus says something a little bit unusual and almost rude. He says, how foolish you are (laughs) and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken about the Messiah. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things? And I read this and I'm a little bit confused. I'm like, what? I I thought Jesus was this nice guy, you know, And, and you'd think that in this situation, he would come up behind them and like pat them on the back. There, there, it's gonna be okay. Guess what? It is I, Jesus. Everything's okay. But he doesn't do that. He, he walks with them through these questions. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't just you know, uh, solve everything right away. He, he does things in this process. He asks them questions. He lets them answer. He listens to them. He listens to their story about everything that they've been through. And then he challenges their doubts. You know, if anybody is able to resurrect a dying hope. Surely, it's the one who just conquered death. And so Jesus says to them, he goes on, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. And what follows must have been the most amazing Bible study ever. You know, they're, they're walking about seven miles together which is about the distance uh, from here to Manteca. I don't know if anybody's ever walked that here. And we have cars, so it's hard to gauge how far of a walk that is. But given that they may have stopped for lunch or taken some rests or some breaks, it would probably take about four or five hours to go that long. So they've got hours together for Jesus to unpack all of Scripture for them. You know, it says he begins with Moses. And maybe he was referring to uh, Deuteronomy 18, where Moses, you know, the great leader of Israel, the, the liberator of the slaves from Egypt, the one who gives the law, he's talking to the people at Mount Sinai, and Moses says this. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now Jesus is starting here, showing, look, all of Scripture is pointing ahead to this person who is coming. And then maybe Jesus goes on, and, and maybe he refers to King David, another great figure in the history of the people of Israel, a great writer of Psalms. Maybe Jesus refers to Psalm 22, where David writes, they pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Maybe Jesus is drawing connections from these words to what he has just experienced, to what Christ has gone through, showing Cleopas and Mary that, look, all these things that you know, have caused you to give up hope, they were supposed to happen. We knew this was going to happen. The, the prophets said it was going to happen. The, the, the law said it was going to happen. You know, maybe one of the most clear examples, maybe Jesus was referring to the prophet Isaiah. 
In, in chapter 53, where, where he writes, Of the Messiah, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as, she, as a sheep before its shears is silence, so did he not open his mouth. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is showing them all these places in scripture over this long walk together that all of this was pointing to the events that just happened. There's no need to give up hope. This is part of the plan. And these might be some of the more obvious places in the Old Testament that are pointing ahead to Jesus. But the amazing thing that, that I've learned, uh, the longer that I've been a Christian and the more time I spend reading the Bible, the more and more I start to see that every single page of this ancient book is pointing to Jesus. Not just the obvious passages, but every single story, every single page is pointing to who he is, who, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so Jesus, over the course of this journey, is showing them this, opening up the scriptures to them, revealing to them things that they'd never seen or connections that they'd never made. You know, what, what Jesus did on that seven-mile walk is what every preacher <laughs> tries to do on Sunday morning during whatever time we are given, trying to make a connection from the scripture, from the passages that we read, to the person of Jesus, to his life, his death, his resurrection, his work that he did on the cross and the ongoing work that is happening now. That's what Jesus did on that walk, opening up their eyes. And as things are wrapping up and they're getting to their destination, I know Jesus maybe nods and waves and acts like he's going on further, but Cleopas and Mary stop him. They urge him to come in. And they say, you need, you need to come in. Look, it's getting late. You know, the sun is going down. It's dangerous to travel alone. In that culture, hospitality was a huge deal. And so, of course, they were urging, saying, no, 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 no. Like, you, you can't keep going alone. Plus, I bet they probably wanted to keep hearing more. Uh, come in, come in, come in. Like, let's have dinner together. You're our friend now. We've traveled. Please join us for dinner. And Jesus obliges. And then he does something a little odd. You know, he serves food to them. Um, I don't know if you've ever had guests over to your house and they start serving food to you. It usually doesn't go that way. For us, when we have guests over, we all sit around the table and we serve food to them. But here Jesus enters their home as they they urge him to come in. They sit around the table and then he takes the bread and he gives thanks for it and he breaks it and he passes it to them. And in this moment, something amazing happens. It's in this motion that their eyes are opened. It's in the breaking of bread with this stranger that they met on the road that they finally see Jesus for who he really is. Now, these are people who had followed Jesus throughout his life, and they recognized him at the breaking of bread because this is something that he had done multiple times before. And when Jesus fed the 5,000, he followed the same formula. He took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. When Jesus gathered for his last supper with his disciples, as they gather in that upper room, he takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and serves it to them. 
And here at this table with Cleopas and Mary, Jesus does the same thing, takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them, and their eyes are opened. They see Jesus' calling card, the way he breaks, gives thanks, and shares bread with others. And just as they realize who this person is sitting at their table, he's gone. Just as all the pieces are starting to fall into place for their mind, oh, this is who that was. Oh my gosh. You know, you imagine this heavy, uh, deferred hope that they'd been carrying this whole way suddenly illuminates. It, it's now a blazing light. And what they do, they get up and they run back over the seven miles that they just walked to get to Emmaus, this long, days-long journey that they say, Jesus, no, you can't keep going. It's dangerous to travel at night. Forget that now. We got to go. They get up from the table and they run back to Jerusalem to share this good news with the disciples, to tell them that we've seen Jesus, that this hope that was, was dead for us, you know, in their minds, they're thinking, we're not the only followers of Jesus who feel disappointed, who feel hurting right now. These people need to know what we've just seen. They need to know that it's not over, that Jesus is here, that he is risen, that he is not dead, but he's alive. And so they rush back because they can't keep this good news to themselves. And they go and they tell the 11. They burst in and they tell them. And then the disciples say, Simon has seen him too. You know, <laughs> they were getting multiple different people witnessing and, and like, confirming that Jesus has risen. Suddenly hope is alive again, not just for Cleopas and Mary, but for the disciples too. And for you and me. You know, in that one day, everything changed for all of them. And everything changed for us as well. Now, I'll finish with this. Cleopas and Mary, on their road to Emmaus, is very similar to the journey that every single Christian takes over the course of their life. In their journey, Jesus met them in their grief and in their pain and in their disappointment. This is so often where Jesus meets us, in our low places, in where we're hurting, when we feel like there's no hope. This is where Jesus approaches us, where he takes the initiative, where Jesus calls us to himself in these moments. And Jesus doesn't come in in these moments and start giving religious rules that you need to follow in order to get your life together. He comes in, and what does he do for Cleopas and Mary? He asks them questions, and he listens to their story. When Jesus meets us in our hurting places, he doesn't give us a list of things to do. He listens. He asks questions. He's inviting a relationship and walking with us through the pain along that journey. And then another thing that Jesus does. On their journey, he confronts Cleopas and Mary on their failure to see the whole picture. Not in a shaming kind of way, uh, but in a way that says, I don't want you to miss this. You've reached the wrong conclusion, and I'm not going to let you sit in that wrong conclusion. Now, Jesus very often confronts us when we reach a wrong conclusion. Not in a, a way to you know, whack you over the head and say, like, you're, you're awful, and you've reached the wrong conclusion. Shape up, get it right. But he reaches us there to say, look, you've reached the wrong conclusion and this isn't going to get you where you want to go or where I want you to go. Let me show you what the proper way to view the world is. And the proper way to view the world is through scripture, 
with Christ at the center. You know, Jesus shows us how every story in this book is pointing to him. Jesus shows us how he is the one who fulfills every single promise that was made and how he makes new promises that he is sure to keep as well. Jesus points out how all of scripture points to him. And then there's a pivotal moment in this journey where Cleopas and Mary urge Jesus into their home. This is a pivotal moment in every Christian's life as well where we urge Jesus to come into our lives, to come into our heart. We urge him to come in and stay. Come, be with us. You know, we open ourselves up to God to come in. This is a pivotal moment in their story. It's a pivotal moment in every Christian story as well. Showing hospitality, creating room for God to come in and sit at a table with us in here. And as we welcome him in, again, Jesus does something odd. As we welcome him in, he serves us. This is so different than any other religious view of, of an almighty being. You know, I, almost every other religion, it's the people that serve God. We, do the, we follow the rules, we make the sacrifices, we do the things to make God happy. But in Christianity, as Jesus shows us, when we welcome him in, he serves us. It's, it's completely upside down from what most of us think of when we think of what it means to be religious. But to be a Christian doesn't mean to be an obedient servant. It means to be part of a family. <laughs> it means to be in relationship with God where he serves and, and gives bread to us, feeds us, nourishes us. And finally, the last part is what we experience whenever we do communion or the Lord's Supper in church. Jesus broke bread, you know, gave it to the people to feed them. And in this, their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus for who he really was. You know, whenever we, as God's people, you know, gather around the table and break bread and share it and give it to one another, it's the same, same table, it's the same actions that Jesus does in this story that continues to happen when we do that to one another. Jesus is recognized in the breaking of the bread. Jesus is recognized as it's received, as it's tasted. That's where we see Jesus for who he really is, as the risen savior who meets us in our pain, who journeys with us, who fills the story of scripture, who serves us, and who gives us hope again when we thought that it was lost. Let us pray. Our risen Savior, we thank you so much for meeting us in the places where we are hurting, where we need you. We thank you for meeting us when our hopes are dashed and we feel like all is lost. Lord, help us to see your word with new eyes that we might always be looking at it to see where you are in each page that we might see how you fulfill this story. And Lord, help us also to see where you are as we invite you into our lives and into our hearts, or that we might urge you to stay, that we might have that same attitude and spirit, urging you to stay. Don't go, don't go on. No, come in, stay, stay with us. 
And Lord, may we be humble enough to receive the service that you give us. Lord, open our eyes to see you in the breaking of bread. And may we also extend that hospitality to the strangers around us, to the people around us who are also hurting, to the people around us who need you. May we be the ones to tell of how you met us in our hurt and to share with others that you also call them in their times of hurt as well. In your name we pray. Amen.